You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome, everyone. I am Johnny Christ, and this is the Drinks with Johnny podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you are subscribed. Give us a rating and review. Share us on all your social media. Tag at Drinks with Johnny. Much appreciated. We'll probably retag it. Um, on this week's episode, I'm very excited for you guys to hear this chat because I just nerded it out on this one. Um, I'm joined by co creator of TMNT. That's right, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, Kevin Eastman, co-creator. Uh, such a rad chat with this guy. Um, you know, it, it, from the beginning of the comic book series that was uh, Turtles to, you know, the Michael Bay movies that came out a few years ago. We talk about everything Turtles. Uh, the, the, the Ronin series, which is, a, which is kind of a, a look past, an, an adult look past uh, the teenage era and going into Michelangelo and all these things, which is, the, I think, the third installment should be coming out soon. We talk a little bit about that, so make sure you go check that out and uh, find it wherever you find Kevin Eastman. I'm sure he'll have all that stuff going. So uh, just a rad chat with this guy. So much fun, and uh, I really had to, uh, to honor him uh, for <laughs> co-creating something that was so prevalent in my childhood, you know, watching the movies and the cartoons growing up. Getting to show all that stuff to my son now has been awesome. So thank you again, Kevin Eastman, for being on the show and just being you and creating that. Uh, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and get you guys this episode, and I'll talk to you at the end. So without further ado, I bring you Kevin Eastman. What's up, everybody? I am Johnny Christ, and this is Drinks with Johnny. Thank you so much for checking out another episode. I am super psyched to talk to one of my childhood heroes, who one of the co-creators that shaped my entire life basically, in uh, Kevin Eastman, who created Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. And co-created, because we have to give out the proper shout-out to Peter Laird. Yeah, Peter Laird. Uh, you, let's just get right into that, then. Are you, I mean, that's a, that's, a good, that's a good place to start. Um, I saw you guys on uh, The Toys That Made Us and, uh, and uh, uh, the Netflix thing, and uh, it, it seems... That you guys weren't really talking for a minute there until that came up, and then now you guys are, are back at it with a couple of things, or no, or that you're shaking your head now, so it's it, you're not back at it. At all. <laughs> no, just it's, it's funny, and, and um, you know, and I don't want to take anything away. I've had a lot of nice, a lot of people have who have had had a lot of really nice comments about watching the the toys that made us, um, mm-hmm. uh, but it was it was pretty much. Um, <laughs> fabricated and staged in, in so many ways. I mean, Peter and I, we were in a documentary together um, that came out in 2015 called uh, Turtle Power, which actually, if you want to see a really good documentary on turtles, 
uh, you can you can find it out there and Google. All right. Well, it. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go check that out, and then we can do this interview again. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always say like, um, people are like, "Oh, that was so so great. You guys finally get back together." And I was like, "Well, we text and we email pretty regularly, anyway." And uh, but I always say that what kind of the sum up is of the entire interview is a uh, first question that the um, interviewer from the toys that made us asked us. He uh, pulled up online. He said, uh, "So I, I see that you were born in Springvale, Maine," and I said. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of really fine people in Springvale, Maine. I don't know where Springvale, Maine is. I've never been there. I was not born <laughs> I've there. I've never been there either. <laughs> and I was like, isn't that kind of funny that, you know, I even tried to change it on Wikipedia that I was not born in Springvale. I was born somewhere else. And somebody kept changing it back to the point where they blocked me on Wikipedia for me actually putting in my actual hometown. They can block you on that stuff? I didn't even know people could be blocked on that. I didn't know it because I think they, they kept thinking it was just some – some idiot that just kept changing it for fun and somebody else would change it back immediately because somebody really wanted me to be from Springvale, Maine, and, and I'm just not. So that kind of sums up the... Um, well, I guess I got to get rid of like half my notes over here because I was basically going on. I'm just teasing. <laughs> no, no, I think, you know, it's funny. I was just saying, you know, and then look, I think there's, um, they captured some pretty, pretty, pretty great moments on there, but it's just not wholly accurate. And, and that's kind of unfortunate because then you start, because I love that series and then I would feel like, well, how many of the other episodes that I've watched that aren't that accurate either? <laughs> they can't even get ours right. Oh, they ruined um, but, it for you too. God. <laughs> you, know, you know, you know, I got a text from Peter yesterday. You know, we we talked, and he's oh, awesome. yeah, yeah, he's the best ever. And the turtles wouldn't be here without us working together. And uh, God bless him. So, um, I was talking to my producer about this before we we, we started this chat here. Um, it was Northamptons, though, when you guys were uh, uh, Northampton um, in Massachusetts, where you guys had that building that you both lived in and worked in. Is that is that accurate? What was, or where did you? Why don't you just tell me? Why not just ask the question? Where were you when you and, and Peter Laird uh, got together and, and created the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Well, we were both ex CIA, so we were we were deep in an underground bunker called a mile below the crust. <laughs> And uh, we were in uh, quarantine for now. Um, <laughs> no, it's a, it's a really uh, beautiful little town in Dover, New Hampshire. Um, you know, Peter and I had met in Northampton a couple years before, but that I, I went back to work in Maine. I used to cook lobsters in the summer. And um, fortunately for both of us, Peter then uh, had met a young lady who later became his wife. And they moved to um, Dover, New Hampshire, which was like 15 minutes down the road from where I was working in Maine. And so when we finished, uh, when I finished work, um, torturing lobsters for that summer. He said, why don't you move in and let's, let's formally start Mirage Studios. And the name Mirage came from, it was a Mirage. It was, uh, it was our living room. So that's, it was, that was um, in the fall of 1983 when uh, um, we opened up our little living room studio. Um, and that's where the first drawings of the turtles emerged. And that's where we um, wrote and drew together the entire first issue. Wow. Was, and that was in 1983, fall of 83. And it was, um, we borrowed a, a $1,200 from my uncle and self-published the book in May of 1984. Wow. So in 84, you were publishing the book, and I was just being born. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I have a lot to owe to you for that. Like, uh, you know, I just more got into the, uh, uh, the origin of your creation um, later in, later in my life, but when I was growing up, it was all about the cartoons and the toys 
and it, everything that came from that. But and then I recently realized how much darker and more adult really the original idea was. And so where did the I mean, I'm sure you've answered this question a million times and but how where did where did that come from? Like were you guys just both like getting baked and we're like, let's fucking let's write this or how did how did that come about? I don't think we, we I don't think we could even afford weed at that you know, at that time we were broke. Um but no the uh um ideally when we we created wrote and drew the turtles together, like literally sitting in the same room passing pages back and forth. We both wrote we both uh pencil we both ink together um and it was done in to to um amuse ourselves and that we were pretty sure that nobody would ever see this comic book it would never it would never go beyond say one issue that's why it was a complete issue in the, in the first uh, 40 page story for first 40 page issue and so we wrote the kind of comic that we wanted to read so we were older and so it did have some um some edge to it but it was you know nothing insanely graphic there wasn't swearing and beheadings and stuff like that but there was blood and there was action there was sort of you know contemporary um to i guess what was going on in the industries from movies and other pop culture stuff but also uh um you know it was an underground comic so we didn't have to go with the comics code authority which was still running the comic book business sort of keeping comics regulated to a much younger audience and so we had complete say but we weren't you know, interested in you know doing violence for violence sake. We just want to tell a good story. And so that's the, uh, that's the evolution of the first issue. Um, and even at its height um, uh, of sales at the black and white comic book, um, um, maybe sold over a hundred thousand copies a couple of times. Um, but most of the people, um, you know, discovered the, the turtles through the cartoon show, which is, which was awesome, which we, you know, were intimately involved in the, uh, construction of and, and you know, so, pretty much anything anything you've ever seen up until you know probably 10 or 15 years ago um, anything you ever saw with the turtles that pete and i were intimately involved and worked on it and had approval over it and, oh, and that was that's fair yeah great. i i kind of i kind of you could see that because it still stayed uh stayed true for so long with both of you guys on it real quickly though i do want to mention that you brought up the first copy um the first print rather and uh it i guess in 2020 it just sold for like ninety thousand dollars or something like that when in like in in 2017 it was it's there was like a mint one that was like a 9.8 or something like that and in seven in 2017 it was at twenty four thousand. so now like obviously a lot has happened in the last year but comic book sales seem to be going up have you seen any uptick in that or yeah no not only we um you know not only with um you know we participated in a auction with heritage on some we had a couple early issues and some original art stuff which was um amazingly successful um but comic sales in general one of the things i'm uh so excited about this business that we're in this medium that we love so much is that um you know even as i intimately work with idw on all things turtles um that the sales of not only turtles comic books but all the other kinds of comics that they're doing um uh, going up and i and i hear that across um um, uh, from a lot of different companies, a lot of different artists, self-publishers and things like that, which is great. You know, I think it's, a, um, you know, comic books, I feel like is a final frontier for so many of us, you know, is, you know, uh, streaming services of every kind sort of encroaching in and just the, the amount of things that um, people can look at and go to for their entertainment. But, uh, you know, our, our hearts and comics and, and I love that we get the support we have. And that's it, the only way we'll, 
get to keep doing this this awesome job that we have. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it, it's incredible, and it's it's shaped so many people's lives. And I just you just mentioned like uh, we talked about how everything's on an uptick for comics, and I feel like a lot of people in Hollywood, not everyone, there's some nice people in Hollywood too, are getting a they're running out of ideas, so they keep they keep looking to these uh, these comics to create their own storyline, not even create their own, steal their storylines and create their own movies off of them. And uh, I mean, the movies that I grew up with from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, mm-hmm. one and two, and even three. Uh, but now like, they now Michael Bay has has redone these. Were you involved in that at all, or? Uh, were you excited? What did you think after being one of the creators of this? It's been over. It's it's been done a bunch of times, and now Michael Bay has redone his version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. What did you think about it? Well, it's it's interesting because um, you know uh, when I look at the history of turtles and um, their their forays into entertainment, you know, with cartoons and movies and, and that kind of stuff, there's it's much like you know all of us as we're fans of certain characters, you know, um, and, and how they're represented in, you know, movies, you know, I'll say, you know, things like the, the Marvel cinematic universe got it exactly right. They, they really did a, a such an amazing job at adapting those characters mm-hmm. based on the historic and in, in the, in what the fans grew up on, what they want to see um, with the turtles, you know, I'll say hands down. The first turtle movie was by far my, my favorite. It was the perfect representation. Of I agree. All- uh, I agree wholeheartedly saw it in the theaters when it first came out. And uh, as a fan of the cartoon, I was definitely like, you know, my four year old, six year old self, whatever the fuck I was seeing it in the theaters. <laughs> I was like, well, that's different than the cartoon. And then, <laughs> but I still loved every minute of it. <laughs> Yeah, and no, and, and then I was I was invited to consult on the um, on the Michael Bay's projects, and I and I feel like they used um, my input to as what do they call it is it, to do the opposite of. So if I told them you should you should do this, then they would do something completely different. I said, don't, <laughs> Didn't, didn't George that. Costanza have an episode on Seinfeld about that? <laughs> I'm just going to do everything opposite of what I originally thought. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, you know, I said, well, you know. I, if you make them six or seven feet tall and make them bulletproof, you sort of take away the charm of the underdog and the, you know, the, like the rebel Alliance, you know, all those things we love about, you know, Sarah Connor and Ripley is like, you want the hero to rise up to mm-hmm. this overwhelming cast that they need to defeat evil. And, uh, but if you're seven foot tall and bulletproof, um, it kind of takes away the, the magic. Let me, let me, you know, correctly say that, there were some fun things that were done in those movies. And I'll say a hundred percent, one of my favorite parts of the, um, when they did the second movie is that we finally got to see um, Bebop and Rocksteady on the big screen and uh, um, Krang and, and all that kind of stuff. So there was, there was moments that were uh, good, but it's like, you know, there's turtle movies I really like, and there's ones I like a little bit less, you know, like mm-hmm. Kevin Monroe's 2007 animated turtles was fantastic uh the first movie was and then some of the rest were you know, not but i love the um nickelodeon's 2012 um cgi series it was just absolutely fantastically done beautifully researched and just um i'm so glad you brought up the fact that it's been uh revamped uh several times over the last you know couple of decades and um i'm appreciative of that because i have a four-year-old son and now i get to show him uh I could basically show him what my childhood was like in a, in a different light. And he still gets to 
grow up with the turtles, which he's absolutely loving. Of course, my my nostalgic self, I went out and made sure I purchased all the digital of the original cartoon that I watched and made him watch that first. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up because that and I, we found it because you know Courtney and I we you know until you know 2000. 2020 we, we used to do you know 15 to 20 shows a year and that was one of my favorite things when i i meet a person like yourself of, of that age that w- was um, introduced to the turtles so the original cartoon now they have children of their own um but they wouldn't they would sort of ease them into the universe with the original you know cartoon mm-hmm. cartoon episodes because they were fun they were you know wacky and silly and it was like you know pretty uh, they were just, awesome by the way like i i, I I want I to thank them. you for that, and I'm glad you you mentioned earlier how you were still very hands on um, from the creation of the comic to the cartoon to the original couple of movies. Um, it's funny to me when I listen when I'm watching back with my son the things that I didn't notice where there'd be like every once in a while there'd be one guy's voice would be for like five other characters, and then it, <laughs> and sometimes it would be like wait a minute. Donatello doesn't sound like Michelangelo. Why did you throw that one in there? Like, well, <laughs> it would be Michelangelo's voice, but it's Donatello speaking it for some reason. <laughs> yeah, no, that's like, you know, back in those days, especially the early days that the, you know, cartoons were done very economically, even though they were you know, still hand-drawn. And I think in, in a lot of cases of 22-minute cartoon shows, the original ones were um, it's about 100,000 to 120,000 um, drawings. Um hand painted and drawn um, to make one episode, one 22 minute episode. So that was still a really an art form, but I think they were still, it was expensive. And so they try to do things on the cheap as much as they could. And, and I've met the voice cast of all the different series, but the original guys, they said the same thing. It's like, if they were in the studio and they were like, Oh, we got a new character and we don't want to pay for another guy to do it. Do you want to do the voice of this one too? And then, then and then, you know, they change their voice a little, <laughs> but no, well, I mean, it, when I was a kid, I never noticed it. It was just watching it back now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> well, you look at, you know, and I love it because it's like you look at a, you know, certainly with the Simpsons and, you know, guys like um, Hank Azaria, who, you know, how many, how many voices does he do on that series alone, which are all awesome and, and unique, but it's like, and, but he's, he's, you know, pretty gifted. It's hard to tell if he does all of those different ones, but he's, he's pretty awesome. Speaking of voices, though, real quick, um, uh, the the iconic theme song, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from the original cartoon, um, I, I learned from, maybe, I hope it's not fabricated, but that was Chuck Lorre that, that did, uh, that, and he was a musician at the time and, and created that theme song, and then actually, that's his voice talking in between a couple of the, those, those little sentences, like... I mean, I imagine at this point you've met Chuck and, and talked to him. Did you talk to him before that that whole thing was happening? Or, or what are your interactions with Chuck? I mean, now he's like this mega TV show producer and everything. But at, at one point he was making the Turtles theme song for you guys. And there, was no, there wasn't this known thing that eventually it was going to be this huge money maker you know what i mean so like and that's like his first credit is just doing that so i i guess i'm asking how how was it like working with him well you know what's interesting is um when we met many 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 years later and he'd become obviously the insanely successful you know producer and writer that he is uh, a creator of, of many of our favorite tv shows but um we we laugh because when um at that time peter and i still had approval over oh, no we for many, many years, we had approval over everything. We worked on the uh, the treatments, the screenplays, the voices, um, and and when they sent us the original 
they had two or three different people um, write possible theme songs. And we, we had no idea who Chuck Lorre was. We never met him. They sent us, they sent him us on a cassette tape. Um, but we really liked his version. We thought that was, that was awesome. And that's the one that we, we said, you know, uh, we prefer that one, use that one. Um, but it was funny that years later, cause he said that when he was uh, just starting out in Hollywood, he would write jingles and commercial stuff and you know, theme song, this and that, and do lots of different, you know, as he was trying to make his way, but his, um, when the turtles became successful, uh, he was, uh, um, uh, he, his daughter was, uh, kind of a mini celebrity because in, in grade school and, you know, because you know, her dad elementary school, because her dad wrote the theme song to turtles, which was really funny. Um, that comes, you know, full circle, but, uh, no, no direct interaction at that time. Um, but we were thrilled when, um, Nickelodeon decided to reuse that basic theme theme song when they launched the 2012 series um they they dressed it up a little bit changed some things but they worked with chuck on that too so yeah it's um, definitely yeah, that that song is still <laughs> on <laughs> that song is still on my son's playlist i have a playlist on my phone of like all of his all of his songs that i have to play when we're driving in the car and shit and that, that one pops up he's like i want to hear the turtle song again um that brings me to uh, another part that i love is music so what kind of music are you mm-hmm. into like when like you were just talking about when you heard the song that was that was the one for the theme what what's your yeah. genre of music what what are some of your favorite uh artists pretty pretty broad in that um you know um my mother is a, a huge country western music fan um so you know uh, at times growing up you know you know Merle Haggard Hank Williams Hank Williams Jr., Jr. you know George Strait you name it I've heard them all but my father was more into um, old blues, um, but my father was like old blues, R and B, um, contemporary, and even opera. So it's like you know, I could he could go from you know Allman Brothers to um, you know Petey Wheatstraw or Holland Wolf to uh, Mozart to everything in between. So the kind of music that I gravitated to towards the most, um, you know, besides the pop stuff, because I was one of those people that sat there the first time MTV went live. <laughs> so that was, you know, so that, you know, went through that. MTV that used to play music. I didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> what? Uh, but I always wanted to be a, you know, a harmonica player. So I used to listen to a, a, a lot of blues, James Cotton and, you know, blues brothers and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, we're the same thing. It's like my wife is, um, she's a fan of a lot of stuff. So like, you know, her, her playlist would be like a, you know, she loves a lot of country music and she knows the words to most every song. She grew up in Arizona as a rodeo um, uh, uh, queen and, and, and all that. So, um, but she likes, you know, so it be from. Well, how did you, you know, guys, did you meet her at the rodeo? Is that, is that how you met her? Yeah. <laughs> but she would go from, you know, we'd be going like Toby Keith, uh, Alan Jackson, and then Little Wayne. Um, <laughs> just so, she knew all of our stuff. <laughs> I think I, I think my I think my wife has that in common. She's a big country music fan as well, and uh, and uh, yeah. But then when it comes to uh, you know the last year's biggest song, uh, WAP, she knows every word of that too. You know, it's just it's just part. Of it. I love it. But now we yeah we met um we met actually in my mom's kitchen um years many years ago. It was a she just stopped by to she was an old family friend and she stopped by to visit and and uh, you know then we got married and we've been. You know, just she's just the greatest ever. We have such a great, uh, you know, we spend twenty four seven together, both working. She runs all the shows, conventions, and 
interviews and she runs this whole other side of the business that we do so that I can be over there drawing. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a great. Yeah. Great obviously you guys uh, are, are a power couple, as they say these days. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. That, that's awesome. Uh, you mentioned though, that she's running the shows and stuff. How has that been? Obviously in the last year we have, they haven't been in person for the comic cons and, and things of that nature. So how, how has that been for you guys? Well, it's, it's was, you know, besides the fact that we just missed, you know, seeing our, all of our friends and fans, um, you know, that, that was really a, you know, we spend so much time, you know, in this room talking to you from her desk and, you know, so we're, we work at home when we're not traveling, but um, we miss being out on the road and we have a lot of friends that we've met over the many, we've done a hundred, 150 shows and um, love the, that and love seeing the fans. But, um, uh, but it's been interesting that um, she's transitioned um, the interaction that we'd have certainly with them um, uh, getting books signed and stuff for fans, for CGC, for that. So she's made a bunch of different connections. So we actually, people will either fly in and we'll safe distance and do a, a, a mini signing at a, a local conference room in a local hotel um, or they'll just mail stuff to us and she'll arrange it all and we'll, we'll get it signed and get it back. So it gets out there for the fans, especially with the collectability of some of the, you know, the other um, uh, stuff that we're doing. Um, so, yeah. yeah, well, I did see uh, on Kevin Eastman Studios dot com cheap plug. Um, you you have been uh, doing some of that stuff as well. You just mentioned like the, the signing uh, some of your collection and selling it to the fans and stuff. And uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about your dot com real quick, just so we could plug that and and uh, sure. it, and yeah, I mean it's a great place for all all fans of turtles and and just Kevin Eastman in general to, to go check out, right? Yeah, no, it's it, we have a partnership with them. Um, um, Another couple of people that we've done business with many, many years, the um, Kevin, the Russells, Fiona and Kevin, who uh, designed and built the website, and they helped us um, build and shape and build uh, the, the fan club and the fulfillment of things that we could have you know, to reach them you know, through social media and let them know, especially when we're doing the shows of where we're going to be and times and specifics, or if we're doing a, you know, say a Facebook Live event or those kinds of things. But we also, um, a lot of the products that we do, comics that I, I, I do and, and work on an IDW, we'll have stuff that, you know, people that can't get to conventions. So we've got a, you know, thousand or more items, probably more on our website um, of different stuff they can they can buy if we get new It's probably less that, than a thousand now, though, because I saw a lot of them are already sold out. So everyone's got to go check that out now. Yeah, <laughs> check it out now. Um, but no, it's a great way to, it's great outreach and, and, and that's what's the fun. So if we can't see... Um, the fans in person, at least we can do uh, this kind of stuff with a lot of, you know, um, interviews and social media presence. And then, you know, if they can't find something because they can't, you know, leave their apartment for mm-hmm. a year, yeah. <laughs> they can, yeah, it's been tough for everyone. I'll just briefly talk about that real quick. The last year, the elephant in the room, we can't get, get away from it. What have you, what have you and your wife? I mean, aside from work, we've, we've already talked about your, your business with, and partnership with your wife, what have you guys been able to do over the last year to, to keep saying, or has it literally just been working? <laughs> it's been working. No, it's, you know, we have a, um, you know, we have a 14 year old son. Um, and, uh, and so he's been homeschooling. And so we, you know, we work with that. So as a family, we're all here in the house, all working together. So um, it's been frustrating for him because he was, um, you know, soccer and basketball and oh, baseball yeah. in the spring and so he was just so incredibly active and now it's sort of 
we're just so limited um, to what we can do. And so it's walks and, you know, just things that we stay here. We social distance. We don't really see that many people. But luckily, you know, with the family, we do lots of Zoom calls because um, I've got, you know, even now I've got, well, you know, I've got nieces in Texas. So we've been talking to them a lot lately through a lot of texts to make sure they're okay. But I've got, uh, you know, family from Arizona to Missouri to Maine and everywhere, you know, they're all over the place. It's great that we, the great thing about the evolution of, you know, Zoom is a platform to keep in touch and, 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 you know, with all of our family members, it's just been a blessing, but we're, we're still pretty hunkered down. We, we, you know, um, you know, our longest trip to the grocery store, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that's the bagels and, and coffee and, uh, (laughs) But, well, coffee, but, definitely. So, Cheers to the coffee. So. There we go. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know, and it's the same. You know, I'm sure you're the same. It's like it's you know, because we've got elderly parents and 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 you know, relatives and things. So it's just keeping everybody safe, and we want to. Yeah. You know, we can't wait till we can all. Of course. Get together, and hug each other a lot, and uh, and, and hopefully uh, that that's coming sooner than later. A lot of good news coming out. You know, things are things are looking on the up and up for for the moment. Well, hopefully, by the time this episode goes out, it's still looking up and up. Uh, let's talk about the timing of this episode that's going to drop in, in March, but on, I believe it's March 31st, you guys are going to do, uh, the drop of the last Ronin number three, right? I think it's, no, it's going to press. Um, I think on press date was the first week of April. So I think we're scheduled to, cause, um, you know, issue two came out, um, uh, this week is 17th. Um, and then, so yeah, the, the, we're scheduled to wrap up everything at the end of March and, it, and, it's, and it's pretty much going straight to press and out the door as, as quick as we can. So, uh, oh. and that's what we're doing right now um, is trying to get ahead on um, the works. Cause we had, uh, we've had, a, we had a bunch of, um, let me say, uh, delays. We had to change artists and there was a bunch of things that we needed to, to switch up. And then uh, a lot of stuff that we were, you know, the whole world was going through with the COVID and everything. So it, it delayed the initial release, which was intended originally for, um, you know, summer, um, you know, 2020. Um, and then, you know, it just, just as it happened, it came out and, and we finally get it all sorted and done and out in October. And um, then we'd hoped for an earlier release on uh, issue two, but it's just the timing wise. Yeah. Well, I think, back. I think over the last year, we've all gotten used to a lot of things getting delayed and, and, and things of that nature and we're, and working through it, basically finding a new way to work through it. One of the things that I was just yep. showing you for the, for the people at home last Ronin. Um, so this is amazing to me. Um, as we said at the top of the show, it was more of a, a grow up on the cartoon, not the comic. Um, mm-hmm. And then came back to it later. And then on this last Ronin, it's, it, it, it's fucking incredible. I don't want to, I don't want to butcher it by giving it my perspective. What, what was the reason that you decided to come back and, and, and make this, this new issue? Um, in short, it was, um, a couple of factors. Um, it was kind of coincidentally it was like around the time that Pete and I had finished a, a run on the turtles, I think up through issue 15 or, um, and then we were trying to look at what we're going to do next. Um, this is back in 1987. And, um, so we decided to look 30 years down the road, um, uh, create a story that might be quote unquote the final turtle story and then would navigate towards that. And then the toys happened and everything happened and it never was never realized. But that story was set to be, um, was conceptually going to be set in all the um, way back in 87. Wow. That's incredible. We started in 87 and it was going it was set in, in the world of, of 2017. 
So when Tom and I were wrapping up the, um, uh, we did a hundred issues of the turtles that, um, um, issue 100 came out in December of last year. Um, uh, no, the year before, um, that, uh, 2019. And then we were trying to figure out where do we go next? And I pulled out this story. I said, we well, you know, I, I have a story that Pete and I worked on and I made notes on it over the years. And, you know, perhaps now is the time to, to dust it off and, and, you know, adapt it into say 20 years from now. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that's how the idea of the last Ronin was built on that original story that Peter and I, um, structured, um, uh, together. Last, last well, little thing that I wanted to talk about was, uh, another graphic novel that you, that you did with, uh, drawing blood. And, uh, yeah. obviously the show is called drinks with Johnny. There was also a drawing blood orange beer, uh, I'm sorry, orange. Yeah. It was drawing blood, blood orange, blood orange beer. <laughs> Easy enough for me to say. Um, yeah. How, um, is that beer still being made from Duckfoot? brewery or is is that something you enjoy uh on the weekends yeah well i like you know i like beer um <laughs> and now i uh, um you know my my edgiest uh, alcoholic indulgences are, are um beer wine um but i love a good um telemore do uh irish whiskey oh i've got one of those back there i, I think there's still some left in it but uh, <laughs> i no, definitely have the telemore it's good stuff yeah, we did a show in um, in Dublin, and you know, rekindled our romance, my Courtney and I, with the uh, Irish whiskey. And so, Telemore Dew and Writer's Tears are some of my favorites. Uh, um, the smooth, smooth. Um, but uh, Duckfoot Brewery, and they did this really wonderful. We've been we done a number of charity and some other programs with them, and um, they loved the Drawing Blood graphic novel, which I uh, co-created with uh, David Avaloni. Um, this crazy idea I had years ago when we brought in the incredibly talented. Uh, and Bishop is the main series artist, and we work with uh, another fantastic artist, Canadian named Troy Little, um, who helped adapt the rag dolls. And so it's kind of a very meta sort of semi-autobiographical um, thing of accumulation of lots of stories I've heard over the years, usually at a, at a hotel bar after a comic convention from, you know, people that you, other industry people. Um, mm. But it was a real dream to um, do kind of a spinal tap meets kind of like Barry, you know, meets a little bit of Breaking Bad, but set all in the world of comic books. And so everything in this idea um, is uh, um, based on our world that we know of comic books. I exist in that world, every, you know, everything we know. But we hear about this um, character Shane Bookman and their creation of the radically rearranged Rona Ragdolls and, 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 and sort of their, his relationship with his brother. And then so that, you know, the, the rock star down to the um, rock bottom to mm. refining himself in his career. And we're just having an absolute blast. And actually that's um, my next call is with um, David and Penn. We're just going over, we're wrapping up uh, uh, the last Kickstarter we did, which covers um, issues um, five, six, seven, and eight. Oh, um, nice. You want to get that out to the fans because it's been, you know, so like so many things that um, got the wind kicked out of the sails last year was uh, was was us completing that we wanted it done and, and out at the end of last year mm-hmm. and so we're working to get it out this summer so uh oh that's exciting a, i didn't know i didn't know that was coming out this summer that's rad that, that's, that's yeah. really cool so and then we, yeah and then we'll do um then we've got because we david and i envision the story to be 12 issues um uh that tells a complete you know arc of what we want to tell and there's room to go on that's like a tv series you know that you do it as a 
you know, there's 12 episodes and then... Well, you've had, you've had a little bit of success about uh, stories that can keep going on and on and stuff like that. So <laughs> <Yeah. you're> not, <laughs> I think you'll be fine. <laughs> well, knock, you know, knock on wood, this would be fun because it's, it's a really great world that we love telling stories in. So, um, but That's yeah, fantastic. you can, the same thing, you know, we mentioned, you know, earlier, like anybody that wants the latest and the greatest updates of all things, um, go to the website, kevinismastudios.com and you'll find out what's going on with Drawing Blood and, you know, just anything you're doing, so... Yes, it's the hub. That's the hub. So everyone, go to Kevin Eastman Studios dot com. Uh, you can be followed on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at just Kevin Eastman TMNT. Is that is that correct? Perfect. Yes. Everyone, go check that out. Uh, thank you so much again for your time. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure meeting uh, one of the guys that created something that was so dear and is still so dear to my heart over the many years. So I appreciate it, man. Cheers. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip it back on you and say, you know, I wouldn't have the greatest job that I have without fans like you. So it's like, I appreciate, you know, all the blessings and giving me a great life and a great job. Now I'm going to go back to work. <laughs> and that'll just about do it for this week's episode of Drinks with Johnny. Thanks again to Kevin Eastman for being on the show. Thanks to you guys for listening uh, each and every week. Really appreciate that. If you're new to the show, head over to drinkswithjohnny.com where you can find exclusive merch. Sign up for the newsletter. That's right. I got a newsletter each and every week on Thursdays uh, written by yours truly. It's going to give you some of the insights to what's coming up next for Drinks with Johnny. You have a, a couple chances to win some contests through there, and you're going to receive 20% off the online store just by signing up. So uh, go over to drinkswithjohnny.com. Do that stuff. If you're enjoying this and you haven't already, you can head over to YouTube. We got everything up there on YouTube as well. Um, and that's the, you know, our, our director, Brando and graphic guy does a great job of making me look better than I really am. So yeah, until next week, as always, cheers. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little, a little taste of it right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics... Um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.